Grace and peace to you in the name of God, our creator, Jesus, our savior, and the mysterious movement of the Spirit. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love walking around in the dark. Anyone else dark nighttime people? Not so much? That's okay. In my life experience, I feel like I've had some of the best conversations with friends at night, usually around a campfire or with a good glass of wine or doing something silly. And I think it might be because at night, we don't have the same access to all the things that keep us occupied and distracted from the stirrings in our hearts and our minds. I also found out that I love the dark and I love the night when I worked at camp. I worked at a camp up in Upper Michigan for four summers, I think, and spent many, many a week there otherwise. And I learned throughout the summer that I could walk around camp without my flashlight because I was walking so much that I just got familiar with all the terrain. I kind of knew where the hills were and where the tree roots were bumping out. So I could walk around without my flashlight. Now, I will say, much like most of the places that we live, it was never pure dark because there's lights on buildings and there's lights coming through the cabins, and there's lights across the lake, and then if it's a really beautiful full moon, you've got this great light shining down in their shadow, moon shadow. But there's something about night that just kind of, I mean, it obviously feels different than the day. I also spent a couple years spending a couple months, or a couple nights each month, as a chaplain at one of the hospitals in Madison, where I lived before here. And most of the time, being the chaplain overnight meant you were called to really difficult situations, high-intensity situations like a code blue or a trauma coming into the emergency department. Not easy stuff by any stretch, but those were kind of the things I knew that I would have to be prepared to be present at. Occasionally, though, the chaplain pager would go off, and it was a request for a conversation or a prayer with a patient or their loved one, somebody who might be struggling with something going on, either with their illness or their treatment or maybe something else completely different. And whether it was because the nighttime rhythm at a hospital is very different than during the day, there was maybe a feeling of insecurity but calling the chaplain meant you wanted to talk. And I think there may be a little bit of safety in confiding in somebody that you know you won't, probably won't ever see again, and that you won't really get a chance to meet before. Like, I don't know why. We are afraid to tell the people we love the things we want to tell them, but we can tell it to strangers. We can muddle on that, but I'm not gonna. Most of the time, I would have these encounters, and I would leave often wondering if I had done any good. Because often people were asking big, huge questions that I just couldn't answer. I can't tell you why people get sick. I can't tell you why there are terrible things in the world. And to be fair, I also know that it really isn't my job to have those answers. My job was to sit and listen to the questions to sit and be with that person, support their seeking, just help them not feel alone, even if we couldn't come to any good conclusions. But sometimes I wish I could just give a really good answer 
about the workings of God and the incarnation of Jesus and the movement of the Spirit. I wish I could know these things. And it's frustrating because to be a pastor, you have to get a master's degree. You have to know how to study these things. I know how to study the things. I know how to find other people's thoughts, but it's still never quite the answers. So I feel a bit of an affinity with our friend Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a well-known, he is a respected leader in the Jewish community. We can probably assume that he would have heard about Jesus by this point in John's gospel. We're going to give you a brief pre-this gospel, because it's only the third chapter. Before this, Jesus has been publicly acknowledged as the Son of God at the river when the dove came down and declared him so. Jesus has been outed as one who is with God as he turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana up in northern Israel. And most recently before this encounter, Jesus and his disciples have come to Jerusalem for the Passover, which they do about three times in the whole Gospel of John. And in this visit, Jesus got pretty angry when he saw a lot of consumerism overtaking the temple. I'm sure people are talking. And so I'm sure Nicodemus had some questions, even though he is also a well-learned, well-educated person. After hearing about these things, I'm sure he wanted to know more. And so I feel for him, because I imagine even at that time, as there kind of is now, there's kind of a stigma about being a leader who doesn't know things. I mean, we know he studied scripture. He dwelled deep in the religious leadership of his community. I suspect it may have been a bad look for a leader to express publicly curiosity or not knowing a thing or even just being interested in following this Jesus guy who's doing things a little differently. And I often wonder how we ascribe that same thinking to a lot of our leaders, this sense of, you are in charge of this thing, therefore you should know all of the things. It actually kind of places a burden of profound expertise on leaders. How often do we ascribe that infallibility instead of grace and compassion when our leaders don't have the answers or express a desire to learn more? I unfortunately know way too many people who, both as supervisors and in leadership roles, have been told that they can't be honest when they are unsure of things, that they have to feign confidence rather than admit their imperfection, which also then doesn't allow them to follow through and find answers and bring it back to the people who have questions. It happens and it stinks. I often wonder, too, how often we do this with our church leaders. How often do we as a community make space for the ebbs and flows of a journey in faith that at times feels so confident and so real and other times feels far away and distant? Do we expect that our pastors, our council presidents, are consistently people who have rock-solid faith without questions or uncertainties about the mysteries of God? Maybe. I think that I too then, like Nicodemus, would feel more comfortable meeting with Jesus kind of after hours in the nights, away from the public eye, if I had some of those deep theological or spiritual questions. Again, we don't really talk about that with the people we know. 
we seem to be more open to one-time off conversations with people we don't. I also recognize that as a pastor, as a recognized spiritual leader, there is this kind of unspoken expectation that I am imbued with the answers to hard questions. But here's the truth, and I, I hope I'm not outing you as well, um, but we don't actually know all the things about God's working in the world, about even how to do, like, even how to do taxes, honestly. I, I know you, I have to find somebody, do you? Yeah. We don't know why really bad things happen. We don't magically receive this power of intuition or this psychic ability to know what people need, when they need it, or how they need it. There isn't always room, though, for clergy to be so openly vulnerable or publicly unaware of such things. And I promise you, our faith isn't so rock solid as to not be impacted by the hurts of the world or our inability to affect change for people we love. And even when we do have the experience, education, and confidence to listen to scripture and strike a level of understanding of God's nature and movement in the world, we, too, at times, fail to accept and believe the earthly things that Jesus tells us and calls us to be a part of in God's kingdom in this time and space. So Jesus, Nicodemus comes to meet Jesus because he'd heard what Jesus was doing and saying. He doesn't even really ask Jesus a question. He simply comes and says, we know you're a teacher who comes from God. For no one can perform the signs and wonders that you do unless by the power of God. And yet Jesus must know something else. Jesus does have this ability to read people differently because he responds, the truth of the matter is that unless one is born anew, one cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is where Nicodemus' conf confidence makes way for vulnerability. How? How can grown humans enter the womb again? How is this even possible? Nicodemus shot, sought assurance that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, but he doesn't really receive the certainty he may have hoped for. Instead, he receives an invitation an invitation to extend his faith beyond the tactile, beyond the literal, and with a faith that actually can't explain everything. Nicodemus is invited to trust that God's incarnate love, that is Jesus, is indeed for the whole cosmos. Even when we can't completely understand it, and maybe even with a shred of uncertainty and a shred of doubt, and that is okay. As preeminent 20th century theologian Paul Tillich wrote in his second volume of Systematic Theology, which if any of you have read, good on ya, he writes, doubt is not the opposite of faith, but it is an element of faith. And therefore, there is no faith without risk. Because faith asks questions, even when the answers are mysterious or unknowable, and unfortunately, we have kind of seen the dangerous movement of faith that wants to have answers. Maybe you've heard of Christian nationalism. It's kind of making its way into our social order, and it's dangerous because it proclaims certainty, that there is one set of values and moral orders perceived as right. Then anything that deviates from that is wrong, deserves to be punished or erased. 
There's no room for asking questions. There's no room for vulnerability of doubts or the possibility that the cosmos that God created actually needs all expressions of human dignity and living. Because the danger of certainty removes the opportunity to grow and progress and not see the wideness of love that Jesus actually calls us into when we recognize that God invites us to be born anew. The love of God invites us to live through the questions, not to come confident with answers. The love of God invites us to move in this world, not with absolute certainty, but with a confident humility that we may not get all the right answers, we may not even get all the answers in the timing that we choose, or with the precise understanding that we seek. And so it may feel like we're walking in the dark a bit. And yet, as we see here, Jesus meets us in the dark. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus, come back, you know, when it's, night, when it's daytime and I can see you face to face. Even in the dark, we don't walk alone. Because God joins us and assures us through Jesus that not only have we been made for love, we are part of the whole cosmos, the whole world. And God indeed loves the whole world. And there's no exceptions, even when we aren't completely sure of it ourselves. But we are assured of this, and I'll invite you to turn back to that very beginning part of our worship where we said in triplicate, we are loved, we are loved, we are loved. Amen.